It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. song from the film Grease, which is responsible for quite a few of the greatest iconic movie lines of all time. And I really have to give credit to our next guest. He has taken what would have been, for me, a 20-minute radio segment at 4 a.m., which is a good way to take a break from discussing, you know, people in the Middle East that want to kill each other and uh, taking calls on what people think is the greatest iconic movie lines of all time. And he's turned it into a whole book. I'm very pleased to be joined in studio by Brian Abrams, a veteran journalist and author whose latest book is You Talking to Me, the definitive guide to iconic movie quotes. Hello, Brian. You know, we can still talk about Israel if you want. Yeah, be my guest. You have uh, anything? You, you want me to find someone that can scream over you as you, uh, as you sure. give your opinion? Well, I, I think the one thing that might be worth adding is that uh, the people of the West Bank and uh, in Gaza have not been able to vote for leadership for two decades. So anyone that has that idea in their head that they're somehow supporting Hamas's agenda. They don't have control over that at all. And lest anyone think that was a movie line, that's your actual <laughs> original commentary. Right. All right. You before you wrote this book, you have um, a pretty interesting career, pretty interesting life in your own right. You've written a number of books. It seems like one of your specialties is kind of oral histories. You've written an oral history of uh, the Obama administration, oral right. history of Gawker, oral history of uh, a number of other things. David Letterman. Yeah. For people that are unfamiliar with that term. I sure. love a good oral history. What is an oral history? Okay. What is that? An oral history I would describe as a story told through interviews or through quotes. So, um, and the reason I got into that was because I, I guess about 10 years ago, I did one on Letterman's years at NBC when he was at the 1230 slot before he took over uh, at 1130 uh, at CBS. And essentially, I just went out and interviewed dozens of people involved with the show. So that's, you know, writers and that's producers or maybe it was guests. Um, and you transcribe all those interviews and you try to smoothly piece them together as like some giant jigsaw puzzle. So, you know, the the author of the work, like me, you don't really see me. You might feel me. You might be able to see me kind of move the conversation in certain directions. Um, but that that did really well. And that was just a digital uh book on Amazon for three bucks. You can still get it. Hmm. And then my editor there loved it so much that we just sort of got into it and we did 
two or three others right after that. So, uh, for instance, if you're doing an oral history about uh, this show, you might interview me. You right. might interview the guys that work on this show. Yep. And you have in the book, oh, Frank Morano says, I decided right. to do the show. You wouldn't say, once upon a time, Frank Morano decided to do a radio show necessarily. Right. There's like section breaks where I'll jump in and try to reset it. But yeah, but basically I would talk to you. I would talk to a producer. I would talk to aggrieved former employees who, or whoever. It could be the janitor. It just depends on who might fit into whatever I, I think this anecdote. is not a bad book idea. Yeah. We have quite right. a history. All right. Um, <laughs> but in terms of the subjects you've covered, right, the Obama administration mm-hmm. and the uh, the Letterman show, mm-hmm. it seems pretty different. It yeah. seems like you have a pretty wide range of, of interests. How do you go from Obama to Letterman? Yeah. Uh, well, so Letterman was a no-brainer. I mean, I was a fan and uh, we had started that project a year before he was going to go off the air. So everyone was kind of anticipating a lot of like legacy stories and wanted to go. And we knew people would want to revisit the history. And from there, uh, we just started looking at subjects. My editor and I uh, at Amazon Kindle Singles just started looking at subjects that we both both equally obsessed over and both knew would make a good story. And so I did one on Gawker, which was really more of a story about sort of New York online media at a certain time, you know, about 15 years ago. Uh, I did one on Die Hard. And then uh, the Obama administration came around because uh, there came a time in the 2010s when a lot of pop culture writers and pop culture reporters, we were suddenly kind of shifted into the political realm Mm -hmm. because political media just consumed everything. It still has. I mean, I'm actually surprised that I'm able to come on a radio show and talk movie quotes at a time when politics does consume everything still. I, but yeah, I, I but mean, politics is in everything, let's be clear. Like, it, you know, but uh, once upon a time, we were more innocently, innocently be able to talk about, you know, Hollywood in a way where maybe we could be divorced from from Washington. You're right. You it's, uh, it's sad. And I think a lot of respects, it kind of makes uh, it makes a lot of people, you know, I hear from so many people that say I won't watch a movie because it has, say, Robert De Niro in it. And right. I don't like what he said about Donald Trump. And right. same thing I've heard of people say of John Voight, if they're on the other side yeah. of the political spectrum. And I just think you're denying yourself uh, a lot of great art yeah. because you disagree with uh, the artist. But that's, yeah, that's, that's naive. That's really naive. I mean, Clint on Eastwood partner, is like one the, of the, the – No, on, <laughs> on their part, whoever this person is. Right. Like Clint Eastwood, you know – Libertarian politics uh, that doesn't agree with me, but he's like one of the great artists of our time. Right, so don't vote for him. Right, if you don't if you don't agree with him, yeah. don't vote for him. Oh, I can't wait to watch his movies. Yeah, uh, you had an interesting interaction with Mel Brooks, my all time favorite, <laughs> as an eight year old. Right. Tell me about that. Uh, wow, eight years old, uh, and my parents divorced, and I saw Spaceballs for the first time, and uh, I just connected with him. For all the obvious reasons that we would connect with yogurt or, you know, Colonel Sanders or Dark Helmet or whatever. And, President Scroob. Right. President Scroob. And, uh, you know, my mom got me to watch all the other ones and I became obsessed. And uh, I started calling Brooks films at eight years old. Like every day, hello, may I please speak to Mel Brooks? Hello, may I please speak to Mel Brooks? Hello, may I please? Speak? I had no idea what I was doing. And the lady at the end of the phone was eventually like, kid, do you just want to make an appointment? <laughs> and I didn't even know what the word appointment meant. You know, but uh, sure enough, he called my house like three days later and we spoke and uh, I wrote about that a few years ago. And I only recently realized at the time I just thought it was a story about me as a, at a young age, like learning to sort of get my chops and reporting or interviewing in some way. But I really think it just meant that I missed my dad uh, and I was just looking for a substitute father figure. But 
I mean, I can Venmo you for like a therapy. Session now, hey, I, like. I, uh, I'm hoping you can uh, give me Mel Brooks's number. I'll oh, reach sure. out to him. You mentioned Gawker, right? Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. I was just watching the uh, Nobody Speak, the Gawker documentary. My wife and I were watching it the other day, and it focuses a lot on the uh, Hulk Hogan case, mm-hmm. uh, the, the sex tape and everything. We've spoken with Ben Smith about his new book, about his time at mm-hmm. Gawker as well. Gawker really was pretty revolutionary in terms of being a next step in online media and kind of covering pop culture. I mean, what was you, what's your view of Gawker's legacy in the media pantheon? It's been a long time since I've talked about Gawker, but uh, I mean, I'm a fan I, and, and I agree that they, they came along at a time when sort of the major uh, sort of, you know, uh, stylish media outlets where these magazines where people had these salaries of 200 grand a year and they were taking two hour lunches and they came through and sort of stormed the gates or at least banged on the gates anyway. Uh, and it was this revolutionary period that did kind of wake everyone up and, and um, they, they were really good at uh, kind of narrating the internet. If that makes any sense. They were like, I think the, it's a great description. They were like at a time when kind of, it was just, I mean, if we're talking like the Bush years, we're talking, you know, there were like web blogs and message boards, but they came along and they became kind of the DJ of the internet for whatever news stories or trend stories were happening. And now it seems like we don't even think about it. Anymore. Right. Right. You're yeah. exactly right. If people are just tuning in, we're talking with Brian Abrams. His new book is you talking to me, the definitive guide to iconic movie quotes. Uh, some of which you might even recognize. It's not a tumor. Nobody puts baby in a corner. Mongo only pawn in game of life. I will look for you. I will find you. And I will kill you. Oh, as if. Now you're in the sunken place. We're not worthy! We're not worthy! We're not worthy! You've got to ask yourself one question. Do I feel lucky? Well, do you, punk? There's no place like home. We all go a little mad sometimes. In the last 34 seconds, I heard, I believe, seven different decades of cinema represented. And believe it or not, that's just scratching the surface in terms of the great quotes that are represented in this book, You Talking to Me. Brian, why'd you write this book? This is a fun bar conversation, a fun radio conversation. Get people to share their favorite movie quotes. Why do we need a book about this? Need? I mean, I I wanted to check out, you know, get away from (laughs) politics for a minute, but... Well, politics, again, isn't everything. You can't escape it. But uh, this book started three years ago, actually, at the height of the pandemic. I was fortunate enough to work from home. And uh, I was friendly with a, with a book editor, and we were kind of going back and forth on things. And we recognized that a lot of people are just out there just sucking down three, four movies a day at home, which, by the way, like, why wouldn't you? Right, but, exactly. But uh, the movie lines angle came through. It just felt like a fresh angle to sort of just re-explore either Hollywood history or just kind of analyze the things that have popped in pop culture and have kind of stuck with us for so long. And, um, and yeah, three years later, I mean, you, you have the book in your hands. And I was looking and I was surprised, but until your book, there really wasn't a book like this. There really wasn't a definitive guide to the most iconic movie quotes. It's almost uh, hard to believe that that's the case. Yeah. I think you could find books that have like lists of quotes. Uh, yeah, but I couldn't find that either. Right. And, and that did occur to us, too, that we recognize like, oh, if, if a book like this came out, it's been like a long time since. 
I mean, maybe there is something from 30 years ago, but it's time for an update. Anyway. Uh, no doubt about it. Yeah. Let me ask you about the tremendous quote that you um, that you picked for the title. Obviously, mm-hmm. it's from Taxi Driver. Robert De Niro is looking into the mirror as Travis Bickle and practicing his biggest, baddest, worst attitude that's going to intimidate anybody that dares come upon him with a gun. You talking to me? And why'd you pick that for the title? I mean, I do that every morning. Every morning? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just so I can leave the apartment. Um, You know what? Actually, there was a debate about the title. And uh, that was not my first choice. But, I mean, I'm happy with it. They were right to pick it. It does have, I mean, it's just a a good, catchy title and universal that people of multiple generations know. Uh, I was at first lobbying for You Had Me at Hello. And then I got convinced that maybe that was uh, just not as widely understood even though jerry Maguire is kind of a classic at this point but i think you made i think whoever made the right yeah, decision yeah. the publisher or whomever made the right one with you talking to me it uh, works kind of on two levels the yeah, film yeah. is talking to the viewer and it's a an homage to a uh, a great line totally. you have a lot of great uh, films profiled here going uh, going back in time almost a hundred years quite mm-hmm. frankly to the advent of sound in motion pictures do certain genres produce more iconic quotes Oof, i don't know i don't know if that's true or not i mean i think it's just so arbitrary right like what what is it that there's so many reasons and that was part of the book is uh, just trying to figure out like why certain lines bounce the way they do and it's there's a number of reasons why they hit when they do uh is it the way an actor said it and did the actor carry it on with him for, you know, decades and decades? Or did it speak to just a certain time and, and all the media kind of surrounded it? I mean, there's just a number of reasons why. I, I wish I could say that uh, you could point to the 40s and say that, like, there are all the most famous lines, however you measure that, uh, you know, all came from gangster noir movies. And that's just not true. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I didn't find any sort of rhyme or reason in that way. You know what is in what do you think? makes a great line take hold mm-hmm. while some other great lines don't take hold. Yeah. The more I tried to figure that out, the the dumber I got every time. <laughs> um, because I, I sat there and the book was almost twice the size it is now, which you can't do. I mean, it's 336 pages. That's pretty hefty. You don't want it any more than that. But, you know, I, I did at first, I had this frustration with, making the distinction between lines that we know back and forth just because we've seen the movie so many times. And so therefore in your head, you think a line is iconic just because you're walking around like reciting Brewster's millions all day long or whatever. And that's just not true. Right. Like it's, it's so I tried to look for lines that you could point to and say, okay, there is some kind of external impact, right? You could point to, uh, I don't need no stinking badges from treasure Sierra Madre and say, okay, that's been mimicked in like dozens of movies since. The uh, you know it's uh, I love Brewster's Millions. Uh, I almost let the cat out of the bag, Uncle Rupert. I almost let the cat out of the bag. But um, it's interesting you mentioned gangster films, right? Mm-hmm. Because I'm a big fan of the Godfather franchise, sure. and there's all these great quotes that are in all three Godfather films, including just when I thought I was out. That's obviously Michael Corleone played brilliantly by Al Pacino in The Godfather Part 3. That line has been recreated many times on television, in real life conversations, in other films. Right. And the thing that's interesting to me about this, and I think you may be the man to answer this question, is people view 
The Godfather Part Three as either a bad movie or uh, at least the worst of the three Godfather films. And yet that line is unmistakably a part of the culture. Right. How frequently does that occur where a movie that people don't necessarily seem to like actually is responsible for an iconic movie line? Yeah, that's really a good question. I mean, first off, I try not to think about part three ever. I just, I don't want to but ever see it again. The line is in the book. I'll, I'll like ironically turn on YouTube and try to find the part where, spoiler alert, where Eli Wallach is like choking on a cannoli. I just think it's way too funny. I got to watch it over and over. But uh, that line is probably, you know, it probably continues to resonate in the culture because people mock it. I don't, you know, it... It was Pacino kind of entering a new era where he was getting wolfy and gruffy and everything was a hoo right? And it wasn't that before, right? He was nasally uh, up in – I mean, if you look at Sea of Love in 89, he he didn't quite even sound like that yet, right? That was my best Pacino. I can't do it. No, no, no. I think that was pretty good. Uh, pretty good. So that's a good question. And then, and then you have to ask yourself, like, well, is, did that line actually just hit hard because it was just like – it was just pummeled on all the ads. It was a Christmas time release. And if you look at like the trailer from, you know, November, December 1990, like that line was in every single trailer over and over and over. And so maybe it just sort of forced us to think it was good. Uh, that's a good question, though. I'll try to come up with more examples of, of the bad movie that sticks in our head. <laughs> uh, or the bad movie, for the good line in the bad movie, for right, instance. Right. Uh, this is going to be such an unfair question because no. you've got so many great films profiled here, literally going back to the very first film ever to have sound, the jazz scene. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You ain't heard nothing yet. And uh, a lot of others. But if you had to pick, gun to your head. Oh, no. What is the most iconic movie line of all time? I mean, don't you... I don't know. You got to pick what, like something from Casablanca, right? Well, you tell me. You're 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 the expert. What are you picking? You've you've now spent two or three years working on this book, <laughs> right. reviewing the quotes right. that are in it. What is the most like saying, iconic like, movie? Like? What's your who's your favorite grandchild? Right? Like, why would you why would you make me pick one? Yeah, well, that, you know, I, I can tell you, my grandmother would have picked me, and then <laughs> I'm proud of that. I can't pick one. No, I mean, I I love uh, I love a number of them, and I don't even know. I don't even know if I'm like in love with movie lines. I think I just love movies, right? And this was just again just the way in to to talk about a ton of stuff. You know what's interesting is there was a time you mentioned Casablanca, that right. era, uh, or uh, Gone with the Wind, or right. even going to the '70s with Star Wars and The Godfather. It was just assumed that there were movies everybody had seen, right? Yeah. Um, if you look at the most popular films at the box office these days, mm -hmm. uh, films like Barbie, Oppenheimer. Mm -hmm. It, uh, a lot of Marvel films. Mm -hmm. Not at all unusual to find a crowded group and most of the people have not seen the film, right? We are in a different era yep. of media consumption. Yep. There are very few things, whether we're talking TV shows, radio shows, movies, that everybody has consumed that you know you can talk about them at the water cooler. Not even the Oscars falls into the category mm -hmm. anymore. I think the only thing is maybe uh, the, the Super Bowl or, or Taylor Swift walking, walking across the street somewhere. Yeah, yeah. Um, do certain eras produce lines that are more iconic than others. I think that what you touched on is pretty profound and is like a much larger conversation about why movies are no longer at the center of culture as they once were. I mean, you know, if you were to indict anyone, you would look at the the media conglomerates and, and point to the way that they just want, they'll either give you 
They'll say, do the horror movie shot on the iPhone for nine days or do the $300 billion Iron Man part seven, right? And that's all we want (laughs) because in the end, it's not a matter of the movies in the middle that people actually want to see. But once upon a time, you'd go to the movie theater, you'd see uh, whatever, you know, Indiana Jones, and uh, your mom would see the poster on the wall and it would be like some Kevin Klein, Annabella Shiora, like erotic thriller. And on date night, she and the husband would go back next week. And like people would – the movie theater was a part of life. And it just isn't anymore unless it's like a major event, right? So uh, if you look at the book, it it does seem to skew older when you try to like – if you were to like quantify the number of lines per decade. I It gets lighter toward the last 20 years. And I think the truth is is like if you tried to list lines that you could truly tell stories about in the last two decades, it's – there's not as many as there used to be. A lot of great films. And we're talking with Brian Abrams. His book is uh, You Talking to Me, the uh, definitive guide to iconic movie quotes. It's uh, available on Amazon or most places that books are available. You can also check out his website and learn a little bit about his fascinating life. It's uh, brianlabrams.com. What does the L stand for, Brian? Lee. Lee. Yeah. Good for you. Good I, for constantly, you. I would have gotten to BrianAbrams.com, but somebody else took it. Uh, okay, under, understandable. Know? Understandable. <laughs> there are a lot of great lines in a lot of great films that don't necessarily get repeated every day. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Strangelove, for instance. Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. A great line. I go, I don't hear that line every day, every week, every month, every year. Yeah. Then there are other lines that unquestionably become a part of the culture, even if the film isn't as well known. Of course, with uh, pe- people like Matthew McConaughey becoming a pop cultural phenomenon, uh, this line from Dazed and Confused, I think I do hear at least once a week. All right, all right, all right. Why do certain movie quotes get repeated by the public at large, whereas others, people enjoy them, they laugh, yeah. but they don't get repeated. Yeah, well, I think they do. It's just a matter of, like, you and I have only been on the planet for so long, right? And I do try to get into that. Uh, for example, uh, Born Yesterday is this comedy from the 50s with Judy Holiday and Bill Holden, and it's really cute. And uh, I can't do a Queen's, like, raspy Jewish accent, but I'll try. But she has this line in it when she's like, would you do me a favor, Harry? Drop dead. <laughs> and that was it had its moment. And it was like a, it was like it reverberated and people would repeat it to each other. And I try to talk about that. But you're right that you could look at other lines like um, what's a good example by Felicia from Friday. So by Felicia was this like throwaway line in the 1995 stoner comedy Friday and like the the kids who were like smoking bongs in the rooms and then and then went to see it didn't think anything of that joke but as time went on the movie found new audiences and it became this line that was like a staple on like black reality tv and divas would throw it at each other as like an insult so uh i guess lines do kind of stand the test of time and they just take on different forms almost. Right? One of the things that I like about the book is when I see a, a line that I like or a film that I like, I'll go and read what you say about the film and about the line. And mm-hmm. you have these little info boxes. For mm-hmm. instance, you were talking about Al Pacino and uh, some of the great lines that he has in so many great films. Yeah. Uh, uh, Ricardo Montalban corresponding with someone over their review of Star Trek to the, the Wrath of Khan. Uh, where did that come from? Kind of the trivia that... Oh. 
that's the uh, parallel to the the movie quote itself. Yeah. Well, so the publisher Workman, I've, I've this is my second book with them, and um, I really kind of admire their philosophy about books. Like that is this is a book that I think you want to own as a physical copy as opposed to on your Kindle. I do love Kindle, but like we really try to think of it as like a book that you can pick up and put down or a book that you like want to give to someone else. And, and ideas like that where it's just kind of post liter, how do I want to describe post literary, I guess is how I'd describe it that like, yeah, you can kind of read entries here and there, and there's some boxes as little pit stops, and uh, we don't have to take it so seriously. You mentioned your fondness for Spaceballs. It's also one of my favorite yeah. films. I, my cousin Andrea and I used to repeat every line in the film together as we'd watch it when we were younger. There's an interesting thing. I think you even have a, a chapter, May the Schwartz Be With You. It certainly mentioned that great line, May yeah. the Schwartz Be With You. That's obviously an homage to another great movie line, May the Force Be With yeah. You. Is that the only instance of a satirized movie line becoming iconic like the line that it originally satirized? Oh, wow. I mean, do I have 30 seconds to hit my buzzer for this one? <laughs> I mean, I feel like it can't be. I mean, it can't be. There's got to be, you know, lines that have been reappropriated and kind of suited up in different ways and we don't recognize it and uh, nothing comes to mind, but I'm sure I'm, I'm, there's got to be plenty of other examples. Brian, I, I could talk with you all day. I hope you'll come back. Uh, I've uh, I've enjoyed this very much, but not as much of it as I've enjoyed the book and I suspect uh, people will too if they check out You Talking to Me. Thanks so much. Thank you. Brian Abrams, this is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead.